Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for listening to Toronto Today. It's great to have you in on July 5th, full work week, and obviously what happened in the United States in Highland Park, Illinois. I knew people from Highland Park, Illinois. They used to go to my camp, Camp Manitou, all the time. We'd get a lot of people from New York City and the boroughs. We'd get a lot of people from suburban Chicago. Um, So it's awful. Um, I know a little bit about that community in Chicago and small, idyllic, it is upscale, uh, just a horrific tragedy on uh, a day when people want to celebrate their independence and their freedom and their country. It's terrible. And uh, so we have some reaction to that. Also, heading back to doctor's offices. It's not the first time we've done this topic, but every time a story gets written about emergency rooms getting flooded, I think about what so many smart people have told us and told our show. Big reason people are going to emergency rooms, they can't don't or won't see their family doctor. And that's got to change. It has to change at some point in time. Coulter Bouchard from uh, uh, 102.1 The Edge joins us as well, as does Alan Cross um, from the ongoing history of new music. Um, I'm headed out to Elmo Combo tonight to see uh, ABC and really, really excited about it. So we've a lot to do on our show. Toronto Today begins now. Our uh, producer, Jason Chapman, reached out to a number of people in uh, Highland Park. I mentioned northern Chicago suburb. I knew a lot of people that went there from uh, went to Camp Manitou up near Perry Sound from uh, Highland Park. Uh, a lot of people from New York State, a lot of people from Illinois. Not a lot of Michigan, Ohio people, but Illinois and New York were, were most of the people that came. And uh, local barber, Yana Kernbrook, spent some time talking with Jason about uh, what's happened here in Highland Park and the shock of it and how to take a step forward and how to recover. And Jason started off by asking Yana how she first learned about the shooting. Uh, first of all, um, my son called me uh, in the morning. He's in the army and he to- he asked, uh, where, where am I? Because he thought maybe I, uh, I, I was there. And... I was uh, like unaware of what what was happening, and I just woke up, and um, I asked why he is asking, and he said that that's what happened, and that I said like no way, and I started to look on Facebook because most of my clients are on Facebook, uh, and. Uh, there is news, and I start to started to read, and that was horrifying. So I knew that one of my clients, um, that I saw like him on on Saturday, his family actually him, his son, his grandson. He came from California to see his granddaughter, who uh, she was supposed to perform at the parade, uh, and. Um, he was he came specifically for that parade from California, uh, and um, I messaged him like, but I didn't receive um, his response yet. I hope he's okay, but that's it's kind of absolutely insane. Like the whole, uh, my feelings are the world going insane. You have received word, obviously, that he's okay now, right? No, not yet. Still waiting. I just can't even imagine what's going through your mind right now, then. How how are you dealing with that unknown right now? 
I under, uh, I understand that many people are, are having the same like feelings that I do, and I received many many messages myself uh, that people were worrying where I, where am I, and I understand that might be like people not comfortable to answer right away, or they they have like the lar- large family and large. Um, community to answer so maybe uh, I'm not that important to answer so I give them some space and I really hope um, that nothing happened to to, uh, anyone whom I know Uh, but in the same time it doesn't ease up the situation so uh, I know that most of my clients are doctors who will uh, take care of those people who are um, got into this situation, and uh, uh, I know in a few, like soon, I will know all the information um, what's happening because I am the one who's uh, as like has a filter of the local community. Well, Yana, um, that's why I called because this is so often the case with barber shops. Um, how long have you been? cutting hair in Highland Park? In Highland Park for seven years now. And this is the place where people come to talk about the community and what's going on. And that's why I reached out. I just find that this is the place where people share stories about their community. Um, How do you anticipate you will be there for the community in the coming days? I mean, there'll be so much to talk about. How do you have these conversations? Uh, the conversation is uh, would be like I, I, honestly I don't know yet, uh, and I really hope not to hear anything about people like that that I know pers- in person, uh, because it would be like super like painful to hear, uh, and uh, it doesn't uh, doesn't mean like a. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's less painful that we got this situation. It's just like I'm not sure how I will uh, react emotionally um, uh, if I will know that some of my clients get hurt. Yana, tell us a bit about this parade. Highland Park is a northern suburb of Chicago. Would most people be at the parade from the neighborhood. Um, Just give us a sense as a Toronto audience of what this parade means to the community and who's involved with it. Uh, This is uh, like a first time after uh, in two years that we have, like we didn't have parades last year and year before. And people were anticipating to 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 have this uh, holiday uh, gathering, and as, as I said, many people came from outside of Illinois, from different states, to spend this time with their families and to like to be at, their, at this parade. And the range uh, range of people uh, who are usually uh, participating in those kind of things—it's children, little kids. And up to like very very old seniors, so it's very well known uh, festival area, and very like lots of tourists. 
and mainly uh, community that like the people who are who live in Highland Park. It's uh, over succeed people who made their well, um, life uh, through the mainly immigrants, mainly Jewish area, uh, who came uh, like their their parents or grandparents immigrated um, to United States and worked hard and made their life through the hard work. And they were very, very smart people, exceptionally smart. And lots of doctors, well-known, world, like famous doctors. So everyone knows each other. That's the community. Everyone knows each other, and that's the scariest part, because we're gonna know everything. What's what happened? It's like one family. Yeah. And a last question for you: Will you open your barber shop this week? Will you open the doors and have customers in? Sure, of course, tomorrow. And how will you? Will you? cut hair will you open it up and have people just come in will it be as business as usual as possible how do you see the next couple of days playing out uh, so um that's the basically i think like most of the people will come in with the same idea to share what they know and to hear uh from from me what i know and I really hope because my doors are open for any kind of like situation like this uh, to help uh, to either, either it's individual who needs help and as we, we are as a barbers but we are like a psychologist or uh, so, uh, so social workers <laughs> that we are trying to yes. help and that's my my duty is to help as much as I can and not to make make this uh, kind of fear uh, or uh, drama to uh, to uh, ex exaggerate drama. Uh, at the same time, to kind of like be more rational, like about what we can do to help uh, ourselves to stay safe, to um, keep ourselves keep keep each other safe and help each other. It's Jason Chapman, our producer uh, in for Shiva Siddiqui, uh, doing some great work yesterday, tracking down Yana Kernbrook, a local barber, about what happened in Highland Park. We'll have a lot more thoughts on that and update that scenario. Again, they have apprehended a shooter. No charges yet. Those take time. I was watching a legal expert last night basically lay out there's ballistics involved. They've got to get the right charge. They have to get the right charge. I know it seems really obvious um, to have the person of interest you're able to arrest him. There's clearly an internet trail. There always is. There always is now. Um, but they've got to they've got to lay the proper murder charge uh, against him because remember the last couple times these things have happened, um, the shooters have been dead. So this will be a trial scenario for this shooter. So if your airline or airport misplaces your pet, what's what's the recourse? What's their responsibility? What are the legalities involved? We got a lot of problems at our airports. We've been talking about that top of the hour. So we thought, let's talk to one of the country's top animal lawyers. And she's out in B.C., so I recorded this yesterday with Rebecca Bretter. 
Now, a lot of this has to do with the dog that was at customs at, at lost baggage for 21 hours. A woman adopted a dog in the Dominican Republic, brought it back. She brought it back after three months in Puerto Plata with it. And uh, and then she gets off her flight around 1.30 in the morning. Her do- The dog that she already owned came out, but the new dog that she adopted did not. So that's not right. 3 a.m. Customs agent says, go home. Just call us later. If you're like me, you wouldn't do that with a pet. You wouldn't do that if you got on the plane and you were sure you did with a dog or a cat. You're not going home and coming back the next day. I'd be pretty ticked off, and she was. So what's the recourse, and why is this even allowed to happen here? Rebecca Bretter spoke to me about it yesterday, and I made the point that pets are indeed, to their owners, family, but they're not necessarily to people that work for the airlines. Well, I mean, you said they're not kids, but I I think what you really meant and implied is that they're not technically kids, but a lot of us who have companion animals living with us, we certainly feel that they're family members. And that's, you know what, that's the reality of it. Um, More and more people are openly saying how they feel that their cat or dog, their companion animal is their family. A lot of people don't have kids. They choose to have companion animals instead of of human kids. You know, they're, they're, family members. And so when you hear stories like this, it is, it's absolutely infuriating to see airlines treat companion animals like cargo. So technically in law, they are quote unquote cargo. They are quote unquote property, but I could tell you, and this is not something I probably could have um, said even 10 years ago, but the law in Canada is changing where even though technically Companion animals are still considered property. Courts across the country, and I could tell you here in BC in particular, um, they're starting to recognize how they are a unique type of property. We cannot be treating companion animals like furniture, like any other cargo that's flying, you know, in the cargo part of, of the plane. So, you know, it it just it it really is infuriating when you hear stories like this. But thankfully, the dog is alive. I'm sure that he or or she is is traumatized to a certain extent. And that may take time for for him to get over it. But at least he's alive. You know, I have a case now where a client of mine, we just did an update on the story and you know, the dog arrived dead on arrival. It is just, and then what does the airline do? They offer compensation based on cargo weight. Seriously? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's just, um, it is devastating. It's, uh, people will probably wonder, well, are there are there any rights? Are there any laws? Like, surely there must be regulations governing the transportation of animals in, in, uh, in airlines. And the short answer is no, not really. There are guidelines. There, there's something called the live animal regulations, which is put together. It's essentially they're not laws, they're not regulations, despite the name. They're basically guidelines that are put together by IATA, which is an association, an industry association for airlines that they have to meet. But you know, if they breach some of those guidelines. The worst case scenario is that the airline could be bumped out of the association. And how many times has that happened um, because of a mistreatment of a companion animal? Well, none that I could, that I know of. Rebecca Brenner is our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. The stat that I saw before chatting with you, and this is about a decade old, but in 2011, 
This is in the U.S. on U.S. commercial airlines. 35 pets died um, while traveling on commercial flights. Nine were, were severely injured. Two airlines lost. So who can figure that out? Now, I don't know if that number's increased in the last 10 years, but what, what I see, and, and you tell me if my anecdotal evidence corroborates with, with some of the people you talk to and what you see, is just that there's more insistence now for travelers to have their dogs or cats up in the cabin with them in a cage at their feet. I've seen it more and more because the cargo hold, like you don't really get a good preview of it. And the, the it's hot back there. It's lonely. It's louder. That's more stressful. There's more respiratory issues for pets than there are for people. There's a million reasons why I think owners are really wrestling and fighting to get their owners to, to get their pets to stay in the seat where they are. Am I right? Sure, absolutely. And sadly, though, it's the it's actually going backwards. Most airlines, um, even maybe a few years ago, allowed emotional support animals, which, by the way, is very different than service animals. Service animals are allowed to go. It's a very technical term, but basically service animals are animals that are uh, that have passed certain government guidelines and certifications. Service animals are allowed on uh, wherever people go in in most, actually in all provinces in Canada, as far as I know. Um, but emotional support animals or therapy animals, a lot of people confuse that with service animals. And they're like, my dog is a therapy animal and he's allowed coming on board. No, it's they're not. And um, an increasing number of airlines are saying that emotional support animals and therapy animals are not allowed. There mm -hmm. are, um, so the, basically the only animals that are allowed in the cabin with you on, on most airlines here in Canada, um, and it's only on certain flights, is if the animal is very small, like they, they usually have to be less than 20 pounds, less than a certain number of um, inches in height, and they basically have to be able to fit in a carrier under the seat in front of you. And you're not allowed taking them out of the carrier. Um, and, and a lot of people are really upset by that, understandably, because they want to be able to take their much bigger dog with them. And, and people want to have their companion animals sitting next to them in the airplane. Now, this is a very controversial <laughs> issue. You'll have people yeah. who will love hearing what I'm saying. And they're going to be like, yes, of course, I want my dog or cat to be sitting next to me. And then at the same time, you're going to have other listeners who are going to be like, who's this crazy <laughs> lady talking? Absolutely not. I have severe allergies. I'm scared of dogs. You know, you name it. You will have people feel strongly on both sides of the issue. And I get that. I appreciate that. However, I strongly believe that there should definitely be pet-friendly flights. So for people who are uh, either scared or have allergies, then choose your flight accordingly. Choose a flight that will not allow um, pets during that time. And for those who want to travel with companion animals, choose a flight that allows companion animals. Like that would be my dream world, is to have regardless of size, breed, weight, so that we could travel with our family members. Because at the end of the day, our cats and dogs are family. I think you're making the point that there that's where the, the disconnect simply is, is that we consider our pets members of our family and airlines consider them cargo. And we're not we're not exactly meeting able to meet in the middle on this. That's a real distinction between um there's not a lot of give and take between the two concepts, is there? No, although I would like to believe because of the number of people who are 
increasingly getting cats and dogs, especially over the last couple of years, um, that we will see an increase in demand for having people travel with their companion animals together with them, next to them, not in cargo, but next to them. And it's, I mean, that number that you cited uh, before, mm-hmm. the over 35, and, and I would say the 35 number that you cited, that's only for reported cases. There are many cases where people don't report the death of their animal or the mistreatment of their animal during during their flight. So I would say that there are that the number is actually a lot higher, and there should be zero tolerance for any any mistreatment, um, either on purpose or by accident, of companion animals on flights. So that's thoughts right now from uh, Rebecca Bretter, and really important to consider all those uh, all those things involved. I mean. It'd be great if there was an airline that said, hey, we're the one airline you want to fly with your pet on. We're the one airline that will do it. Um, That's a great marketing thing. I think there's practicality issues that make it difficult to do. But if you can move those along, if you can move, you know, shift those around, you've got something there and you'll click with people. We do a lot more for the idea of a pet grooming store 15, 20 years ago thriving. And now they all thrive. They all thrive. Those things are always busy, especially on weekends. Wait times for hospital admission from the ER are at a record high in Ontario. It's a symptom of a system-wide crisis. You bet it is. I agree with the last. The last part, by the way, is the explanation. The first part is the, in essence, the hypothesis. The, the, the data comes in the first explanation with a hypothesis. Um, and then the second part is like, yes. It's a symptom of a system-wide crisis. Usually, and we say this all the time, two things are true about something. The president of the Canadian Medical Association, her quote, the emergency department is always sort of like the canary in the coal mine, which is a complex quote. It's been around for ages. The police even wrote a song on their third album called Canary in a Coal Mine. And we're like, I don't know, give me to do 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 da 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 I can understand that a little bit better. But here's the bottom line. This has been a broken system emergency departments waiting for well waiting for surgeries or one thing waiting to get seen at er's totally another and i'll bring this up that this has happened a million times over because all you need to do is google emergency do google 2000 give me a year and then google ontario hospital wait times i did it for you 2017 ontario hospital wait times little google action last night People spent an average of nearly 16 hours in the emergency department before being admitted to hospital in 2017-18. It's 20 right now. Not great. (laughs) That's another four hours where you're scrolling through your phone or you're bringing a good book or two to read. I was in the emergency room for something I was a little bit worried about. Very sudden, to be honest, in early January. Um, I think it was January 5th, January 6th. It was after kids had gone back to school, so I don't remember the exact date. And I arrived around 7.30, 7.45, got dropped off. No one else is allowed to wait with you. Uh, so um, I didn't think I was dying, but you're never quite sure. And then I'm here now, so I didn't. And I think I got seen. Like, you, they take your blood pressure, which is good. And my blood pressure was excellent. The problem was more in my chest. And I think I got properly seen around 12 30 i came into work the next day i did toronto today the next day that's not to tell you i'm some kind of uh warrior i'm not i i like my uh i like my leisure and i love my rest time 
But um, I <laughs> I remember thinking about it at the time going, um, am I going right to the radio station from from the emergency room? So I, that was only about six, seven hours. But I'm one of the lucky ones. And when I bring up that 2017-18 stat, it's the longest it's been in six years. So that 2017-18 stat, the longest it's been in six years. I'll tell you when my family moved back to Canada from the United States. And here I go. And you better hang in there with me on this. When I moved back, I couldn't believe it. Like we we had a pediatrician that was basically in the U.S. in, in Livonia, Michigan, that was we'd be like, hi, we'd like to bring in our son. When would you like to come? Not here's when your appointment is, and it's 11 days from now. Well, whatever my son's dealing with probably won't be the case in 11 days. Yeah, we know. Too bad. Click. That's kind of what we expected when we came back to Ontario, and that's certainly what we got. And some people are struggling to find family doctors still that see them in person. You don't like that year? Google another year. How about 2014? How about moving from the Dalton McGuinty uh, premiership to Kathleen Wynne's premiership? Well, same story. 16 hours for emergency room wait times. A lot of people will bring this up and say some of this is based on COVID right now. And maybe a minimal amount is. But how do you define COVID? Do you define COVID as, well, my regular doctor is not in, so I'm coming to the emergency room instead? Well, that's what I did because it was 730 at night. I was going to get, I thought maybe it was more an emergency than just walking into a walk-in clinic and getting a prescription. And of course, I can't see a family doctor at 730 in the evening. But had this incident with me happen at 1.30 in the afternoon, I'd have also gone to the emergency room. Um, eventually my family doctor, our family doctor is back seeing people in person. And we're really thankful that she is. We locked out with our family doctor, but I hear from more than enough people that say that's not the case. Stefan Burrell is a, uh, epidemiologist, but he makes the point and he's one of the brave ones that's out there saying we've got to go back to in-person doctors because guess what? ER wait times are increasing because doctor's offices are virtual. Here's what he said on our show two weeks ago. During COVID, I, I can understand in obviously those early months in 2020 and even through the summer that there was kind of a complete move to virtual care. But as I think as we're all kind of understanding, we're in, we're in the summer of 2022 at this point, and many of the folks that I see just have not been in touch or seen their family doctors. And so they've had prescriptions renewed and renewed and renewed without having things like their blood pressure checked or their blood sugar checked if they're diabetics, et cetera. And so I think, you know, people have now kind of taken it upon themselves just to skip that process because it's so complicated to get in with a family doctor. It can take months and they're going straight to emergency rooms. And, and we're hearing from our emergency room colleagues that they're doing things that should absolutely be done in primary care outpatient settings. So they got to speak up. I think it's past time where we're like, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want the medical community to be upset with me. You're going to have to get a little bit louder. A lot of us had to do that with uh, with the mandates in March and April. A lot of had had to do. A lot of us had to do that to get schools semi normal in March, April, May, and June. Looks like that was a success, to be perfectly honest. So I'm not being critical of any kind of journalist that writes a story about wait times for hospital admissions. But let's go to the bottom line of it. MD's offices are closed, and to be closed for in essence a 29th straight month. Come on now. And Dr. Catherine Smart knows that. I'm not saying she's got an easy job as the president of the Canadian Medical Association, but maybe you should tell members of your medical association, get back to your office. I mean, again, this is what Stefan Burrell told us two weeks ago right here on Toronto Today, and he's right. 
you can often like lay eyes on a patient and get an idea if they're not doing well. And if you're just talking to them on the phone, a lot of we, there's this assumption that everybody has a webcam, everybody has a smartphone, and that's just absolutely not the case. That is excluding the most vulnerable folks, older folks, non-English speakers, et cetera, in our society that don't have access to those things. So it's all over the phone, verbal, if at all. And, and what ha- what's happening, and, and I just keep talking to folks over and over again, is that they're just not being seen or even talking to, and they're just going to the pharmacy every few months and getting their meds. And you see folks that have blood pressures of 200 over 100, and it's just because it hasn't been checked. Um, in you know in a two in in over two years and so I think that we are you know that the costs of this just from a healthcare system not just the immediate emergency of like overwhelming our emergency rooms that are already short staffed and overworked it's all of that and Dr Kieran Moore criticize him if you like compliment him if you like he got a lot of compliments replacing dr david williams and then suddenly he didn't do everything certain uh doctors wanted and all of a sudden he became a villain to them okay well we can see which side of the of the bread you, you know you're buttering we can see this right now he wrote a letter in october of 2021 so this is now nine months old here's what he wrote collectively we are increasingly hearing about physicians offices that are not providing in-person care There are many patients for whom the standard of care cannot be met in a solely virtual care environment. And I, this is the money uh, paragraph to me. I am concerned of a backlog of patients that have not had a physical exam and have not had their heart or lungs listened to, that haven't had their blood pressure physically checked, that haven't been able to be immunized or had any basic cancer screening. Look, some people are going to be afraid to go to the doctor's office. That's their prerogative to feel that way. And if virtual is the option that a patient prefers, fantastic. I would do some nudging and some urging if any of those people were close to me, if that was my parents, if that was a grandparent, if that was an uncle or an aunt and certainly if there was a kid that i thought had a problem and it was something very serious i'd be like no we're going in in person and that's that and i think we need the physicians to do this the same way and let me tell you something that i just wouldn't say you know as a matter of happenstance i hear from doctors that are afraid to speak up about this i give stefan burrell credit okay he's in the front lines he's seeing patients every day But there's too many doctors that are a little bit concerned about ramifications and a bit of a reverb effect if they suggest that doctors need to be back in offices. Wow, wonderful. That sounds like a real healthy culture, doesn't it? Where doctors could get intimidated or blacklisted or castigated. That's just fantastic. Here's the other quote that I think is really significant. And again, this ends up being uh, this ends up being true is I want you to listen to this from this is uh, Angela Preocannon, the first vice president of the Ontario Nurses Association. She explains what emergency rooms are dealing with right now. We have hospitals in the GTA that are running with 60% staff and a three to 400% capacity. The emergency rooms are exploding. It's absolutely horrible. And what we say about the airlines last hour, so much of this is staffing shortage. Ontario Nurses Association President Catherine Hoy, her quote, the staffing shortage is because of the burnout and people leaving. And let me fill in the rest of the sentence that she doesn't say, but doesn't have to. This isn't because of a 29th wave of COVID. This isn't because of COVID infections. What this is, is people going, hey, I can do something better 
and and save more money and have a lot more bandwidth left at the end of the day when my head hits the pillow. That's what's happening. We got to fix this. And we've needed to fix it for well over a decade. Thank you can you. check out our next guest, by the way, uh, Ongoing History of New Music, Sundays uh, 7 to 8 on 102.1 The Edge. And now I'm, I'm leaning on him almost as concert going big brother. I never had a big brother. I never had a dad going to concerts except like, I don't know, Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers. And they didn't play. I know they did Islands in the Stream, but they didn't play too many gigs together. But Alan Cross joins us now, and it's finally time. I'm I'm breaking the seal, and I'm going to the Elmo Combo tonight to see Martin Fry and ABC. How have I never been to this venue? You've probably been hundreds of times. Oh, well, this is the new Elmo Combo. And if you haven't been to the uh, the refurbished Elmo Combo with the $30 million worth of renovations, you've got to go. I was actually there last night. Oh. For the first show. Mid- uh, to see Midjura or ABC? Uh, I did see Mid- no, I saw them both. Midjura plays downstairs. He starts the early show. He plays acoustically, and then you go upstairs, and uh, ABC plays uh, like a twelve or fifteen song set. Oh, I'm so excited that you went. I didn't know that before we ended up having you on. Was it? Uh, and they haven't played in Toronto since probably Lexicon of Love with their their uh, classic 2009. album. 2009. It was. It's been 13 years. So 2009. Oh my gosh. And they were great. They were outstanding. Uh, Martin Fry is in super voice. Oh. He's 65 years old, can still hit, hit all the notes. Uh, sharp dressed, of course. Uh, band was tight. I really, I had a great time. I cannot wait to go to, how many people were there with you? Like how many does it hold? How how full? Uh, it's an expensive it ticket. I know that. Yeah, but about 300. 300 people. Uh, and that was a, that was a sellout. Uh, what was interesting is I was, uh, I, I have a little perch up on the balcony that I kind of stay out of the way. <laughs> And so I could look down on the crowd and um, I counted, I think, five people wearing masks. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd say it was about 10 percent. So you're it's way under 10 percent. I'd say when I went to OMD at history and I think we talked a couple days after that, that's the first show back. I saw maybe 30 or 40. And then I went to Midnight Oil at Massey Hall and I saw about 20. And I, I just think that's. In a good way, that's where we're headed. And it's still an option. It's still, you know, I think people are are doing two things with gigs, Alan. I think they're realizing that they used to get sick after a lot of gigs. I know I did. I mean, like, uh, you get a sore throat, runny nose, cough, whatever, and you're like, oh, that's how that happened. I was singing my face off, and everybody was doing the same thing, and we were spreading our own droplets to each other. But we're we're taking our, our own risks, and we're we're back at these shows. Like, Toronto's really turning out for concerts these last several weeks. Yeah, we. I think we're really, really tired of of being locked in and not being able to go out and hang out with people in a live music environment. But um, we'll see what happens in the fall. I mean, I know somebody you know connected with the health ministry, and uh, they're you know a little worried about what might happen. Uh, they are you know monitoring all yeah. the different variants that are happening and all the yeah. spread. So you know, uh, another interesting thing is that um, uh, they're they're watching the Roe v. Wade situation in the U.S. because they're being prepped for uh, a wave of, of people coming north to get abortions. And uh, we're not capable of, of being able to handle a potential wave of, of uh, Americans coming this way. So that will be a, a story to follow in the fall. I think it is one uh, to follow in the fall. So there's been uh, airline chaos, travel chaos. I think you've you've flown. A, I've only flown the one time back in February. So it's been a while since I've had an airport experience. I feel like you've traveled more. How was that experience for you traveling? Uh, wretched. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I, t- it took me nine hours to get home from Boston. Uh, and then, uh, last week I came back from Vancouver and it took three hours to get my bags. So it's, it's just an, an utter nightmare. And, you know, I, I, I really want to defend, 
our airlines. I really want to defend our, our airport, but I can't. I, yeah. I, I just can't. They, they've been caught flat footed. And it is, I mean, I had a bag. I, I managed to, uh, I went, when I was coming home from Vancouver, I managed to sweet talk my way to getting a priority tag on my bag. Mm-hmm. Didn't help. <laughs> well, Did not help. Um, when I, I've always wondered this about bands, because th- there I go see Midnight Oil, a band from Australia, and I've read their a book about them where they're like, this is th- there are British bands that just can't conquer North America because they come over, play 10 shows, got a couple songs on the radio and think, all right, we've conquered America. Look at look at Oasis, like as big as Oasis is. They really only kind of own North America for a few years. Um, now, we get back together. It's a different story. But I think about that and I'm like, can I saw that story about the Arkells losing some equipment? Can bands cross the Atlantic in this era, in this time, Alan? And is it still does it still make sense? We know that there's UK acts, Robbie Williams, Kylie Minogue, that don't even bother with North America. Do you think that's a trend that's going to increase post-pandemic? That, that bands will just say, ah, I'm popular where I am. It's it's I'll lose money by doing a North American tour or a North American band doing a, a European tour. It all depends on the band. If they want to really make it big on a global scale, you have to make it in America. So it is a, a part of every manager's and label's business plan to break every band in the biggest music market in the world. So you're going to see that sort of thing continue. It's a little difficult for, for British musicians uh, because they now need visas to work in, in the European Union. So mm-hmm. uh, if, if they're going to go through that sort of hassle, well, they might as well just you know continue the hassle and, and come this way. Uh, a lot of these British bands will use Canada, specifically Toronto, as, as sort of a gateway to America. That's what Oasis did, for example. And uh, you, you just have to give it a shot. Everything is so fragmented, too, because you're never going to be as big as the acts of old. But you do have an opportunity to further your career. You're just not going to be as massive as uh, what we used to see back in the day. And bands, like this is the uh, proverbial tale, isn't it? Bands have to tour. I mean, all their stuff's on Spotify. You can't, you know, maybe at the height of their fame, right? Our REM said, that's it. Like they didn't tour from what, 89 until 95. They sat out six years, put out a couple albums, I think in the EP in between. And they don't have to, I, I can't think of a band or an act from Drake on down that doesn't have to be out there to keep the money flowing in. No, that's true. That's where all the money is being made. Unless your name is Kate Bush right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's where all the money is, is being made. And, you know, we go back to this business about airlines. Um, I have been on a, a number of flights recently and uh, there have been there's been a person in one seat and their instrument in the next seat. <laughs> they don't trust the airlines to handle their instruments. So they actually buy a seat for it. There was a woman. Um, I guess I was going to Winnipeg and, and she had a cello next to her. Uh, I talked to the bass player from ABC last night. He has this custom made Japanese bass that is just absolutely gorgeous. He had to check it uh, with Air Canada and he was absolutely oh. terrified <laughs> that he, he wasn't going to get it. Um, Arkells, I mean, we've heard this story. Yeah. Somehow they were, they, they lost their instruments on the way to the Saskatoon Jazz Festival. Uh, and had to use somebody else's gear. Uh, it, you know, this sort of thing happens usually when somebody steals the trailer at the back of your tour bus with all your gear in it. That's right. Yeah, it, the white the white van parked outside the four hundred seat club goes missing because you left your it, keys in it uh, in yeah, in the door it, handle, and all your uh, all your amps are gone. Yeah, it, it does happen it's, it's, a lot. 
but mm. uh, this idea of an airline losing all your your musical instruments, like wow, because you know that would be oversized baggage, and that would be you know uh, usually you know fragile That's baggage. It. That's where it. You wouldn't. This is the stuff that does not come down the carousel. You have mm. to go to that special place to get it. Mm. Um, yeah. So this is. Uh, I have a, a number of trips coming up, and I'm really kind of rethinking them okay i want it let's do another chat soon and i want to hear about that and why exactly that is check him out by the way you got me so pumped up for tonight ongoing history of new music sunday 7 to 8 p.m of course on 102.1 the edge alan cross thanks so much i can't wait to go tonight thanks for the uh, recommendation you'll have a great time i'm so excited our next guest on you can tell coulter bouchard is co-host of the coulter and merit of the show weekdays 3 to 7 p.m on 102.1 the edge it's a real mutual admiration admiration site he's going to say Greg, I don't know how you do it, how you get up that early. Coulter, I don't know how you work till 7 o'clock at night. That's 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 11 o'clock for me. I Greg, hated working till 7 o'clock. At, I did it for three years. I didn't like it. That's my cross to bear. And also, I think Kate Bush, I read an article yesterday. I think it's closer to $3 million Canadian just in the last <laughs> month from that song. Amazing. It works really well with the show. And I but I never thought I never know how these things are going to work that that that's a, that's all of a sudden. I know when people die, their their chart success goes through the roof on on iTunes charts and whatnot. But I just I, I saw the song in the show, loved how it was used. And I but I didn't see that coming. Didn't see it. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing. She took such a gamble back in the day because she owns the copyright to it. I think she owns the label, which distributes the song. And uh, I'm sure at the time people were like, girl, what are you doing? Just take the paycheck now. Uh, and 40 years later, I mean, the gamble paid off. And you get cut from her team. If you call her girl, you get cut right away from uh, from her entourage. That's okay. it. Okay. Well, that's why I'm that's not, not part of the entourage anymore. <laughs> we had a falling out years ago. Yeah. Girl, get on the bus. We're headed for San Antonio. <laughs> that's it. You're out of the Kate Bush uh, 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 touring world if uh, if you do that. Yeah, she's... She's rather, I just picture her like walk, like Miss Havisham in Great Expectations, just sitting around in a dress all the time, <laughs> counting now her, her uh, royalties. Um, so you love Toronto like I love it. And I know you heard this uh, clip yesterday. We're going to play this off uh, Fox Sports because a lot of this was about whether Kevin Durant, uh, mega superstar, everybody knows him outside the sports world, uh, would want to be a Toronto Raptor. And Chris Broussard, a Fox Sports pundit, made this point about Toronto. Great city. But, Twine, you know, it's not America, and you feel it. When you're there, I'm telling you, especially as an African-American, it's a different situation than African-Americans are used to being in. And they've all, I've talked to people in that organization pre-Ujiri about can they keep African-American superstars there. So interesting. There's a lot of layers of the onion to unpeel. It. First of all, Messiah Jerry's been a Raptor uh, executive since For like 2000, a decade, right? Yeah, 2013. So it's like, hey, I've got this really fresh information from nine <laughs> years ago. I don't even talk about COVID from three months ago. So nine years ago, I had a conversation and some things don't ring, ring true nine years ago. What do you think of the comment? Yeah, maybe you should open the segment with secondhand news by Fleetwood Mac <laughs> with that comment. Here's the thing. Uh, when the clip started, I'm like, are you trying to say that Toronto doesn't have problems with racism? Because that is patently untrue. Look at the report that the Toronto Police Services put out. Was it last week or the week before? Mm -hmm. um, but then as I got into the clip, I'm like, oh, you just think that there aren't really any black people in Toronto. And Donovan <laughs> Bennett from Sportsnet had tweeted this out. And you can, I mean, you can do the research yourself. Uh, Toronto, eight and a half percent of our population is black. The other cities that are kind of being floated for Kevin Durant to go to, Phoenix, 7.1%, San Francisco, just over 5%. I mean, Canada, this is one of the, the, the first things you hear about Toronto is that it's the most diverse city 
on planet Earth. So I really don't know where he's getting his information from. And my guess is, I don't know, other out-of-touch sportscasters. It's a weird one. I used to be one of those, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, and I was a little more in touch than I thought out of touch. But if the reference is Kawhi Leonard, I'm sorry, Kawhi wasn't going. Remember how like the weather would be nice for a day and people like, hey. Hey, I Maybe hope he's stay. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope he's out on his balcony of his condo right now and sees that it's not minus 18 because the idea was that he he didn't, you know, and he didn't want to be here for more than a year. But th- like real quick, not to get too deep in the weeds with it, but Kyle Lowry extended twice. DeMar DeRozan bawled tears of agony when Messiah Jerry told him, we're trading you to Texas. We're trading you to a great franchise and you can play for Greg Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs. And he was devastated. So. I don't know. Like it's it's tough to stereotype. Black players like playing here. Uh, yeah. European players like it here. But Toronto is that melting pot, and that's why we love it. Well, I think that that's what um, I think that that's what Donovan Bennett is trying to point out. Like, what a stupid comment! You haven't even done your research. And just because uh, you know a city has a certain makeup doesn't mean people are more or less likely to want to move there. I talked about this on my show yesterday. Maybe we could bring back. I know it didn't work the first time, but remember Kawine and Dine? Yeah. Maybe we could do Kev. And Bev, and he just gets to drink for free across the city. Maybe it'll work this time. My favorite bit about Toronto, my favorite bit about trying to keep Kawhi here, was driving around on a Saturday afternoon, and I heard a news story because John Tory and uh, and Nav Bacha put together a petition to get Kawhi to stay, and they're like, sign the sign, right? Sign the (laughs) online, and I'm like, to get someone who's chronically shy and in essence a recluse. And present him with 300,000 signatures about something doesn't feel like a real incentive to be like, oh, my God, thank you for allowing me my anonymity and my weirdness. Like, no, he that's the last thing you should you should petition to to, to that. You'll leave him alone uh, and let him do whatever he wants and not bother him. But a petition of hundreds of thousands of signatures feels like more of a bother than something Weren't else. We- following him around in a helicopter or something at some point. And also, I think John Tory just wanted an excuse. I love the guy, but he wanted an excuse to declare another day. He wanted to declare it Kawhi Leonard Day or something like that. That's what the angle was, Greg. You got to look. You got to follow the money. When the Toronto... Listen, I've said it before. No city's better at changing its uh, the CN Tower colors and the Toronto (laughs) sign colors. Like, we're on that. We're on that. Transit, getting around. Forget that stuff. But we can change a sign or a tower's colors with the snap of a finger um we use it by the way we got about a minute left i want to get into a couple will you stay past the uh the news update at 8 30 of course please. Will, you, will you do that um now this other issue affects travel obviously um the airport situation right now haven't been to one since february but i know i'll do anything and everything and a lot of my friends and i'm sure a lot of your listeners say the same thing to you during the course of your show with meredith that They'll do anything and everything. They'll drive to Buffalo. They'll take a car. They'll fly out. They'll fly Porter, which is awesome. (laughs) Billy Bishop. They'll do anything to avoid Pearson Airport right now. Is that kind of the feels? Yeah, well, and and that's the thing. You recently took a road trip to Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. And also I was following along. I'm like, man, gas is, you know, it was still a (laughs) dollar 70 a liter. But I'm like, that's that's amazing. I love that. I'm going to be honest, I would rather drown in a puddle of my own fluids than go to Pearson Airport right now. And that's coming from a guy that hasn't been on a plane or on vacation since 2017. I'm hungry to get out there, but I will avoid flying at all costs. When do you think that changes for you? I don't know. I'm going to see what happens during the summer. And then I feel like, you know, we'll we'll probably see we're in the seventh wave of COVID now. So we hear, you know, maybe that'll ratchet up to eighth or ninth by the fall and it'll be even more difficult. Maybe we'll see even further staff shortages. Maybe this is the best it's going to be for a while, ironically. 
Oh, my goodness. Well, I, that, that's a great uh, promo for your show and my show. Look, this is just the best it's going to be for a while, okay? Don't expect massive improvements. It's a great promo for Pearson, too. It's a great promo for Pearson. Coulter Bouchard is here uh, from The Edge uh, having a great visit, and we should do it more often. Coulter and Meredith, weekdays. Three to seven o'clock. Do you, you must. This is fine, right? You get to uh, you get to gigs at night, and you're just you're just getting wound up. I can't. I'm I'm going to this show tonight at Elmo Combo, and I'm like, please let the band be on stage promptly at eight, and let them promptly finish around nine thirty two p.m. I'm I'm that kind of a wimp now. Yeah, if you if it goes any later, Greg, you're going to be in an iron lung for the rest of the That's week, it. just recovering. That's it. Yeah, I have no uh, no time for that. And and then uh, usually I, I double fist a couple of drinks. I have a two drink maximum limit. I've been to other places where they have a three drink minimum limit, but that's a different story. And the two drink maximum, both those drinks are, are uh, completed by around 8.03 p.m. if I arrive at eight. So, you know, it's uh, I'm a man of excess. I don't know what to tell you. You need one of those um what those glasses that are like made out of a crazy straw and then one of them go the one of them goes into your drink and then it loops around your eyeballs and then goes into your mouth. You're, or one me, of the hats you're making me wear cans. one of those baseball helmets that have yeah. the straw. I don't want to do that. I I don't want to be that dad or uncle or anything or uh, lean or into it, Greg. So you saw um and it got a lot of attention when Stephen Del Duca the ill-fated uh candidate for premier um for the Liberals proposed buck a ride mm. and that sounded great like you can go i'm a suburbanite so i'm like oh my gosh get on the go train instead of paying 22 bucks to go down to exhibition for a tfc game or go to the cna or whatever a buck sounds great i do like this and i think this actually works financially because everyone's like i if i don't if you don't take transit across the province why you're subsidizing a buck a ride but vienna austria has a 365 euro travel pass about 550 490 bucks canadian and we really thought about it couldn't we all make that work for people that go monday to friday five days a week they'll end up benefiting and even if you you, no one's going to ride it 365 days but but then the community gets their money and they like there's guaranteed income there to to subsidize what we need which is more public transit in the biggest city in canada Well, that's the thing. If you want to know how cities are systematically just kind of preventing public transit from really ever gaining a foothold, there's a great book. Here's for your summer reading list. It's a it's a thick one, but The Power Broker by Robert Caro about Robert Moses, the man who essentially built the greater New York City area for motorists kind of in the uh, early 20th century and then into the late 20th century. Um, But what we need to do every time we need to build a new highway, for instance, quote unquote, need to like the 413, for instance, we need to twin those with public transit lines so that we're building communities mm-hmm. around public transit lines as opposed to years later trying to you know go through the almost impossible herculean task of expropriating land to try and you know shoehorn transit hubs into existing areas i did the math by the way so for uh like a monthly go train pass plus a ttc pass let's say you live in the suburbs like you and i do i'm out there you know there in the schwa yeah. it's about five hundred dollars to get from oshawa to downtown toronto every single month and that's the cost of a yearly pass in vienna the difference is vienna just has a way better public transit system yeah it, yeah their system has already been built up and they plan decades in advance like there's nowhere i was saying to jason yesterday on the show there's nowhere to put any more roads in the downtown mm-hmm. core there's no infrastructure they can dig up and wind around another like a ring road or anything else the roads we have in the in the city core proper are the roads we have and we really can't widen them as well if we're mm-hmm. going to encourage foot traffic or bike traffic so public transit has to be the way 
And to your point, like if I if I go, so you and I are are uh, are go train, uh, not quite season ticket holders, but if <laughs> if I go down, I, I went and met a friend downtown who was already down there. So I took the go a couple weeks ago, and that's twenty bucks from Ajax mm-hmm. there and back. I'd have paid twelve bucks probably for gas. Now twenty five for parking uh, outside of BMO Field. There's thirty seven dollars. So I save money, and I'm on foot, and there's no car involved. But if I go Coulter with three friends on a Saturday night. There's just no creativity in the fair. We're paying 88 bucks, and and eventually one of the four of us would say, and i got to find three friends to be able to, to do that. Uh, I should start looking. <laughs> I have five right now, and I'm trying to get it down to three. Um, but we pay 88 bucks, and, and someone would say, why are we spending 88 bucks on this when we all can pile in the car, someone designated drive, and you pay 25 bucks, and, and so you're saving about 50 bucks as a group. Sounds like uh, four beers at a, at a Raptors game or at a concert. So there's no incentive for you and me and friends or family to take the damn go train. And I wish there was. Well, and also, I mean, look at the amount of time it takes. And, and it's an absolute privilege to be able to afford my monthly car payments and to be able to put no, you know, you, insurance you every, on the car. You earn every penny and... spinning that radio head and coming up with your <laughs> topics and Vampire but, Weekend. You earn every penny. Don't deny yourself. My point is I can get from door to door. I'm on air from three until seven. So there's not usually a ton of traffic. I can usually get door to door in like 45 minutes, uh, an hour, maybe on a day with bad traffic. But I want to get home as soon as possible after work, not just because I've worked a full day, but I want to be able to put my kid to bed. And yeah, it's a couple of hundred dollars more expensive for me to drive as opposed to taking transit every month. But that's really important to me. That's worth the extra money to me is to be able to put my little girl to bed at 745 every single night. And it's something that I'm willing to pay. But I think for a lot of people, it's just unaffordable. And so they're stuck with public transit that, let's be honest, has never really worked in southern Ontario, certainly in Toronto. Certainly in Toronto. You nailed it. And yeah, I've missed a lot of breakfast the last uh, bunch of years. You you miss a lot of dinners. It's tough. Like it's, hey, people might say, ah, you guys work four hours, but there's prep involved and you can't exactly leave early. Lots of office people can leave early for a kid's soccer game or or a a violin concerto or a ring tournament. Yes. But um, but you and I, unless we voice track, I've never quite thought about that. I've really thought about doing Friday shows on Thursday night. Like, let yeah, used that's to. the way to do it. That'll be that'll be the up to date news that people <laughs> come to expect on Toronto today. Hey? That's right. That's right. We're just you know, we're going to cover some topics we covered earlier in the week. Exactly like we covered them earlier in the week. And you won't notice it. Hey, let's do this more often. And you have uh, you and Meredith have a great show today. I will be in the car uh, at five o'clock and I'll be listening, man. Hold on. I'm actually uh, covering on point the rest of this week from seven to ten. So I'm not on the edge. I'm actually uh, on 640 this week. Thanks again for listening to Toronto Today. We greatly appreciate it. Back with a live show tomorrow between 5.30 and 9 a.m. on Wednesday. And, of course, you can hear it on the Radio Player Canada app or at 640toronto.com. Thanks again.